0: Hey, it's John Willis again, and, uh, we got a great podcast here. This is, uh, John Hunter. Um, he's a long time. I mean, I think his whole life he's been a Deming fan. You get to hear that. Um, he's John Hunter. He's at johnhunter.com and then also Curious Cat. So, uh, he was one of the first websites that I found when I started getting interested in Dr. Deming. Uh, just to give you a heads up, it's, it, we went really long. We could have just gone on forever. <laughs> um, one of the things I realized now is, you know, I, I started getting into Dr. I mean, in about 2011, and, uh, and by the time I was uh, sort of a serious student, all the, what they call the greats uh, were either, you know, deeply retired and hard to get a hold of or gone. And um, so it's, it's sort of rare when I get to talk to you, some of you, if you go back to my original Doris Quinn, which was the third episode, that was great. Um, but this was great, too, because he's been around the greats. He knew the greats. He got to meet Dr. Deming. So I think you're going to really enjoy. Uh, the one thing I'll tell you, it was very long, like I said, and we we wound up breaking it up into two parts. So this will be the first part. And then right after that, I'll produce the second part. So I hope you really enjoy it. Thank you. Hey, this is John Willis again. This is another um, episode of the Deming Profound Podcast. Um, just a little intro here um you know i I've said this before that I, I started looking at dr. Deming in about two thousand twelve uh you know my second podcast with ben rockwood uh, last year is uh, he's the one who really sort of got me interested and excited about this and and then about later in 2012 i I created a presentation called uh, Deming to devops um, and um, and one of the things I had heard about is this meeting in Hakon, um in Japan, um, was somewhere around Mount Fuji, I'm guessing. But um, And it was this really interesting meeting about where Deming spoke to uh, a high percentage of the sort of controlling wealth in Japan right in 1950. And the first blog site I found was uh, this gentleman I'm about to talk to, uh, John Hunter, a curious cat. And then I just started following him over the years. and. Uh, when I started his podcast, I thought, what the heck? Let me reach out to him. I've been a fan of his for a while. And John, you want to introduce yourself?
1: Hi. It's good to uh, talk to you. Uh, okay. So a little <laughs> about myself. I uh, am probably best known for the Curious Cat Management Improvement website. I've been doing that for uh over 20 years um it started a little earlier than it was it had the name curious cat before the web uh, really existed or at least existed that i knew of um so i've been doing that for a long time in 2004 i started uh the curious cat management improvement blog which uh I continue to do to this day. Um, I wrote a book called Management Matters uh, a few years ago. It's a uh, ebook. Um, A couple other uh, highlights. I started the W. Edwards Deming Institute website and I started the blog for them in 2012. And uh, I continue to write for that blog. Largely, I've been focused on management improvement and software development. Uh, So that's a quick overview of uh, sort of my background.
0: Great. That's great. Um, Yeah. So, uh, you know, normally if I find somebody who is uh, sort of a Deming expert or geek or I, I asked this question, um, not everybody on my podcast is a Deming sort of expert. I mean, of course, everybody's heard of him, but, but I'm going to ask you the, uh, what was your sort of aha moment? Um, you know, was it like, why, why did you get so passionate about Dr. Deming?
1: Okay, so this is a long answer. Sure. Um, <laughs> I don't really have an aha okay. moment. Okay. Uh, I really was introduced to these ideas as a kid. My father uh, has been uh, involved in these things since I was a kid. And so before I knew the name Deming or even management improvement or anything like that, uh, I became um, familiar with the ideas and the concepts just in the way that I was raised. Uh, we had database thinking. He would do experiments to see what would work. He would think in a process-based way. Um, so, yeah, we would use visual management for. Th- I mean, it wasn't called that, but we would use those ideas in things like chores we were supposed to do around the house, or you know, those kind of things. Um, so I started up with this stuff all the way. Uh, from being a kid before I knew about it, in you know the name Deming, um, I guess uh, the time when well, there's two pieces, I guess. A specific um, part of that database thinking is design of experiments, which most people familiar with Deming or lean, don't know about Uh, a fair number of people that uh, know about Six Sigma, know about design of experiments. But essentially, design of experiments is about interactions. And the fact that the way we often think about doing uh, tasks and experiments is to vary one variable at a time, which, of course, will not tell you anything about interactions between that variable and something else. So uh, it's not a very good way to do experiments, but it's still the way that uh, we often do. Um, And so my father was, he wrote a book with George Box and Stu Hunter called Statistics for Experimenters. And that book is pretty much uh, one of maybe two that are used by people that do design of experiments. Um, that book he was writing uh, when I was a little kid. And I remember as a little kid being exposed to the ideas, not the complex ideas, but the basic ideas. Uh, he, it was published just before we went to Nigeria for a year where he was a professor. And, uh, that the ideas from that book just, uh, were something that just came naturally through our course of, uh, living. Um, and then in, when I was in high school, well, when we got back from Nigeria, one of the things that dad decided was he really liked Madison, Wisconsin, (laughs) which is where he was a professor. Um, and so he wanted to help make Madison better. So he went and talked to the mayor about uh, him helping improve something. And as part of that, uh, he talked to Peter Schultes, who he had known for a long time. People who are familiar with Deming's ideas often know Peter Schultes. And if they don't, they should. In my opinion, the absolute best management book. And also the best Deming management book is the leader's handbook by Peter Schultes. Um, But so dad and him decided to start with uh, a project in the first street garage. And that was when I was in high school. And I'm not exactly sure when, maybe a year after that, maybe a year and a half um, there was a, you know, they would train the city employees and things. And during my summer, uh, vacation, I went to one of those city, uh, training classes and sat in on that. Um, and so that was probably when I first really heard about Deming or Deming's ideas in action. Um, and so, you know, from there I, uh, became I was interested in the concepts and I became very interested in uh, Deming's ideas and it continued beyond that in various ways as I started at work um maybe a year into a job with the retirement system for the federal government uh, they were talking about doing quality which was you know a big deal at the time and so i got excited about the prospect of doing that and got involved with uh that um effort and from there uh i really um started to do a lot with uh deming and uh quality management from one of the things i did while i was there was uh helped set up the ASQ government division um, where it was uh, some people from the city of Madison, the state of Madison. At that time, I had moved to the secretary of defense quality management office. um, And we had some people from uh, Austin, Texas and from the state of New York. Um, And so from there I was able to do continue getting interested in these things and really, uh, you know, get uh, deep into um, the ideas of Deming and management improvement.
0: Brilliant. Brilliant. Um, So just um, sort of a heads up, like the most of the people that listen to this podcast come from, you know, so what we a, a movement called DevOps, but a lot of sort of sysadmin, Linux system administration, um, you know, building data centers, um, definitely a lot of sort of software, agile software development people, and, um, or you know, and 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 certain parts of the agile would would completely understand. But when you say um, digital management or database thinking, um, and then even sort of DOE design of experiment. Can you tie that? So when I think of sort of Deming, um, you know, and again, maybe I don't have a good, stronger view of things I should know more about. You know, I think about, you know, what he wrote. I think about system uh, system of profound knowledge. I think about variations, it's control. I think about epistemology or the, the, the um, you know, the theory of uh, knowledge, the theory of variation, the theory of psychology and, and appreciation systems all those things and the 14 points and go on. But the point being um, I don't necessarily think about um, and it's maybe when I was born in my Deming journey, I don't think about, or I haven't really heard the terms database thinking applied to Deming or digital management. And then, um, you know, have heard of design of experiments, but could you give, give me a little more sort of education there? Is it, is it?
1: Yeah. So part of it is, uh, that design of experiments, if you understand it and know about it, completely meshes with all of that stuff about epistemology and how do you know what you know and uh, the theory of knowledge. But um, most people don't uh, know about uh, design of experiments. I remember my dad taught me you know, the basic concept, which is that, you know, if you're going to do an experiment, you vary several of the variables at the same time. Um, When I was in seventh and eighth grade, I remember there was a class I took where, you know, that was, you know, a science class. And my experiment was a uh, design of experiment uh, idea. Um, And I would talk to him about, well, so what are you doing when you're going away and consulting with these uh, companies, you know, because he would go and consult on these topics, and he said, "Well, I'm going to teach him about design experiments." And I said, "Well, what do you mean? They're adults. They <laughs> have degrees in engineering. How do they not know this?" And he said, "No, that I literally, I go to these companies, and they still do one design. They still do experiments where they vary one variable at a time, and." Uh, I could not grasp that concept as a kid. Um, And uh, I now sort of understand a bit more about how... the world that I imagined as a kid of all these intelligent adults that know exactly how things should work and have, you know, gone to school and are doing everything correctly uh, is not a very accurate perception of the world. But so design of experiments has not done that uh, much. Um, It isn't complicated. I mean, like I said, I was in eighth grade, I think when I did, you know, design of experiment for myself. Um, one of the things I'll mention, what I usually do with these podcasts is I will uh, create a blog post with a link to the podcast, and then I'll link to a bunch of resources I have online. So I can link to a couple things for people that are interested in picking up some more on design experiments. Um, the, But yeah, so in general, the Deming uh, community does not uh, talk about it or okay. use design of uh, experiments that much. Having said that, one of the things, it, the people who were on the stage with Deming talking at all these seminars and things, almost all of them were statisticians. And so almost all of them you knew about design of experiments, used design of experiments. Um, but, you know, when you're trying to teach this stuff, you can't teach everything. So you pick a few things and you talk about those things. So design of experiments was not talked about very much, but it's really very similar people who, uh, so Six Sigma has a lot of detractors and there's plenty of reasons to be a detractor. But my experience is that any management system, if you look at how it was applied, you are a detractor. Because it's horrible, how it's applied, no matter how good it is. you right. have six Sigma, it's applied horribly and yes, you criticize it. you have lean, it's applied horribly and you criticize it. You have agile, it's applied horribly and you criticize it. Now occasionally agile is done well and there's all sorts of wonderful things about it right. but um, so the uh, the people that I knew that were involved in six Sigma were a bunch of these same statisticians. And they knew Deming and they were less focused on, you know, a lot of the things that people know about Deming, uh, respect for people, the right. okay. theory right. of psychology and those kind of stuff. But the idea of understanding variation and understanding that systems are important and understanding that you need the knowledge of the people who are involved, uh, to tell you what's really going on so that when you're doing They didn't, they would use, they would in general use a design of experiment to test something out where the Deming people would do a PDSA. But the way that they would do design of experiment is very similar to PDSA, it's sort of an incremental approach. A lot of times, George Box, I think, was the one that coined the term EVOP, which is evolutionary operations. Which is sort of similar to what people would think about with PDSA, where PDSA, for the people who aren't familiar with it, plan, do, study, act. The one of the core principles with that is that you, it's not one experiment. You have a concept, you test it out very quickly, you learn from that test, you adjust it a little bit, you test it again, you learn from that, you adjust it, you test it again. Um, And that's what evolutionary operations is for design of experiments. You learn some, you then test again. So the, the concept there again is very similar. It's that you are continually learning, adjusting your premise experiment again, adjust your premise experiment again. Um, And the design of experiments is just a, a uh, little more formal way of doing it that sometimes might not be necessary, might not fit very well for certain things. Like a lot of the Deming stuff, in my opinion, works extremely well for software development. It's mm-hmm. harder to see where a bunch of uh, design of experiments stuff would work for um, uh, software development and, mm-hmm. uh, but maybe it's possible. Let's people, let's but. table
0: that a little bit because I, I yeah sure. I have an interesting conversation. So I just to give you a little bit of background and I, I guarantee it, I've forgotten everything that I learned. But <laughs> one of my jobs years ago, and we're talking probably 25 years ago, is at uh, GE, G Capital, and I actually was given a green belt. So ba- they basically give you a green belt. You know, they you know, you just rate. It's like karate. You get it, you I think you get a white belt when you start, right? But my wife was actually a black belt. And uh, and I actually got to go to Crotonville, um, and so I did actually, you know, sort of understand. I, I you know I think like you said the thing that you said, which is, um, and I'm going to get to a question here in a minute, but that you know that like a lot of people look at like Six Sigma done terribly, and there's a lot of Six Sigma done terribly, um, and just basically say it's a terrible thing, or even Lean is a terrible thing, and you know there's even a back against uh, Agile these days in some ways, but. But I saw Sigma done reasonably well. I, in some ways, it was fantastic. You know, in some ways, it was a little pedantic. But, um, but I guess the one thing I, I, you know, back then I knew nothing of Dr. Deming, right? And and then, um, you know, I started learning about Dr. Deming as I said earlier in, uh, you know, two thousand and, you know, 11, 12, right? Because uh, I, I I learned it backwards because I, I a friend of mine, Gene Kim, wrote a book called uh, The Phoenix Project. And um, before he was finished with it, it's it's a rewrite. It's a purposeful rewrite of the goal by Elliot Gorat. And he um, he forced me before he would let me read another copy of his Phoenix project to read the goal. And I was just, this is amazing. And then I learned about Deming. And um, but um, you know, I my natural instinct was like in 2013, 14 to say, oh, Deming must have been involved in this Six Sigma stuff. Everything seems, you know. I couldn't really find I mean, there's some debates out there or, you know, again, um, there's a fair amount of people that say they don't think he had anything to do with it. I I find that nonsensical. But
1: well, basically, I would say that that's probably a truer Uh uh, explanation that he didn't have anything to do with it. Um, The there's a couple of problems trying to figure it out. But so one thing is the way that he was somewhat involved is that people who were involved in doing Six Sigma stuff either learned some things directly from him or from organizations that were doing things based on what he said. So he had an influence not because he was involved but because they used some of his ideas. there's a sense in the in much of the Deming community to be uh, he said some bad things about six Sigma and okay. some bad things about total quality management um that were true how he truly felt and what he truly believed but I think that the people who then uh, you hear talk about it today, um, don't understand in the same way that he did that he had problems with how anything was applied. And so he definitely had problems with Six Sigma and there were definitely big problems for him and how Six Sigma was done. But that's very different than saying anything involved in Six Sigma is bad. This is a long time ago. I went to uh, one of these uh, Six Sigma conferences that had a couple of the... So at NGE, there is a lot of stuff done. And a lot of it, I don't think was done fairly well, but there's an applied statistics department, which is NGE and was very involved in a lot of this stuff. And those people, in my opinion, were great. Uh, People like uh, Jerry Hahn and, um, oh, shoot, I'm forgetting his name right now, but he is great. Um, But anyway, uh, those people uh, were at the conference and some other people. Oh, uh, Allied Signal did some good stuff. Mm -hmm. And Bill Hill, who had been family friends forever, was uh, one of those people. And what I would say to the Deming people Yes, yeah, it was who knows, 20, 25 years ago, was look, if you talk to those people about Six Sigma, it's all good. Mm-hmm. Everything they're saying is something that is a good thing and we should be doing, mm. um, in my opinion. Uh, which is different than taking individual deming quotes of saying, you know, this stuff is really bad. Deming wasn't trying to figure out, okay, let's look at Six Sigma and see if there's some good stuff in there. He was just you know, trying to get people to do better management and being distracted by, oh, but what about this flavor of management yeah, that yeah, I like? Yeah. He didn't want to spend no, his time. At, hey. That's my opinion about uh, where things were.
0: I love that observation. And, I have a good friend of mine who's really into um, complex systems and and just, uh, he studies with the guys who do a resilience engineering on sort of, um, you know, uh, airline safety catastrophes and and he, he he it's it's kind of comforting to think that like because every time i throw something at him like a, a new sort of framework or something like that he's like john, i don't like this for the you know i could like now just see that vision of deming saying you know, like that you know like my friend john osmar will say john that's distracting me from what i really want to do is learn the truth about like how to improve things so that's pretty brilliant um the um did you uh, you uh, did you have the uh opportunity or pleasure to meet Dr. Deming?
1: yeah though it was when he was uh really old, so I met him i don't know six or seven times okay, wow. uh, sort of small different things, and he couldn't hear very well, so you had to sort of yell um <laughs> and so i like i like went to one of the two and a half day seminars and okay. helped out with that. <laughs> and i would i saw him a couple times when i was at the retirement system uh for federal government he came to speak there once um the and a couple times for whatever reasons i would uh with a group of people went to dinner with him and things like that and it was good and so like he knew my dad fairly well and knew several people like peter schultes and brian Joyner. uh for people who are interested in Deming um, are pretty famous, especially if they were an interest in Deming a long time ago, they both taught with Deming on the stage. My dad died when I was in college. So he died very close to the time that Deming started to become really famous. Um, But, uh, and so those seminars and things were basically after he was already dead. Um, But like in, but so Peter Schultes and Brian Joyner were both in Madison and where I was, and so is George Box. So Madison really had, if you look at sort of what was going on in Deming's ideas, Madison was, I don't think there can be a debate other than Deming himself was the center of Deming stuff going on in the United States, Um, And joint associates uh, consulted all over the country. So, you know, they, it spread beyond Madison, of course, but you had all those people in Madison who were really great. And so we would, I mean, as a kid, those people, George Box was dad's best friend and uh, Brian Joyner was another statistician and his wife, Lori Joyner, were great friends. So we had them uh, over to dinner all the time. And I forget, there's actually a point I was making on this. So um, it's related to what you just said.
0: <laughs> yeah, no, I just wondered, had you met Because, you know, it's, it,
1: I did. Oh, yeah, met Deming. The, so when I would meet with Deming, sometimes it, it was difficult because uh, you'd have to speak up to get him to hear. So the way that I was most able to engage with him is when I was talking about those people. Oh. And so he would, uh, he was... Uh, Interested in talking to me largely because of those connections. So you know he would be interested in talking to me compared to uh, other people that just happen to be there.
0: That's that's cool. You know, I I had um like like my third podcast. Um, I'd heard about Doris Quinn again real early on and. And, you know, over the last couple of years, I've been a little more serious about my research on Dr. Deming. And and so I, I tracked her down, which wasn't easy <laughs> to find her. She's retired somewhere up in New Hampshire. And I got had her on a podcast and and I'm, you know, Peter Schultz. I want to talk about him and him Schultz because I, I have interesting story there. But he um, but she talked about when she met, you know, the first time she met Dr. Deming. I don't know. You, you probably were at Doris Quinn or.
1: Yeah, yeah, and you know, I listened to that know. podcast that you mentioned. Okay, like you did. okay podcast okay, okay. people should listen. But
0: she said in there, you know, like, so I was not, you know, like I'm still a junior deming geek, but like she said at one point she said, you know, all the greats were there, Vita Schultes, Brian Joyer, Greg Grog, you know. So apparently whatever she was in her first thing, they were all in this uh whatever, you know whatever sort of version of her, uh, you know, four days with Deming or or the class use apparently they.
1: Yeah. What they would do just for people who might be interested, Uh there was a Deming four day, which was pretty much taught by Deming himself and with helpers. But then they had, they started to do these Deming two day. I think there were two and a half days and those ones, they would have Deming and Brian Joyner and Peter Schultes and, uh one or two other people, maybe Bill Schirkenbach and Ed Baker.
0: Yeah, she or, said so yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: Yeah. Totally. Um, so there would be uh those Deming two and a half days. Um it was largely like, you know, Peter and Brian and these other people speaking and Deming would speak too. I think a big part of the reason they did it is as Deming got older, mm-hmm, it became mm-hmm. a lot for him to do those four days by himself.
0: Well, you know, I was gonna save the the Peter Schultes because there's other, other things I definitely want to pick your brain on, but I, you know, um, like I said, I was just getting into Deming and you know that you know, the this sort of last decade, right, if you will, and and um, so I ran across that you know Peter Schultes book and I'm like you're right, it was just you know oh my god, everything about this guy, and I did some more research and I found that he was. Uh, this um, He wrote a song like, you know, I, I don't know. I think I said this in email to you, but literally, um, you know, my mother would drag me to Catholic church every Sunday. Right. And, and one of my more pleasant memories was a song called They'll Know We Are Christians by Our Love. And I found he wrote it and I was like, oh, my goodness, I have to reach out to this man you know, I'm, I'm in love with Deming. He's got this book, he's a Deming disciple and he wrote this song and, but he had already been deceased. So I, I feel like that was a miss for me, not to get, you know, there's people, you know, sort of shortlist list of people like, boy, I wish I could have met him. I mean, he might've just blew me off. I doubt he would have, but, but I just, I, I was so disappointed because I was so excited about.
1: Yeah. You know, the, there are lot. I mean, Peter was really brilliant. He was also one of the I mentioned that almost all the people on the stage with Deming were statisticians. He wasn't. Yeah. He was one of the few. Um, but yeah, he was in addition to being really wise on management ideas, he was just a great person to be around. He was super funny. Um, he's a really good writer as the book uh showed. He was the person who I really started to Uh, know really well um and i did uh i like uh created his website and did his website for um when i was doing that actually i asked him about they will know we're uh christians by our love and i said that's awesome let's include that on the website and he was like no let's not and i said why not and he said what I just get frustrated when people know because he was a priest when he wrote that. And he said, people then expect me to behave in a certain way. Hmm. And Peter was funny and he was somewhat crude when he was funny. Um, And he said, people then take it, you know, that, oh, he shouldn't. It's already he was pushing it. I think he has a uh, swear word or two in the leader's handbook. Mm -hmm. which was published by McGraw-Hill, which is a big publisher. I think there was a big pushback on that. I could be wrong. Maybe they pushed back and took it out. But I think he fought for it and kept it in there. Um, So I had said, man, I just think that's a cool thing. He was like, well, why do you think it's so cool? I said, well, one thing is it shows this uh, range. It shows something that is great, that's completely separate from this. And impactful, too,
0: because, I mean, think about me. I'm 60 two years old. I mean, it, that song has an impact on my life,
1: you know? Right. Yeah. That's the thing. I mean, if it had been just been some song I'd never heard of or that was sort of... Yeah, like, yeah. The, right. It ties so directly to one of the core principles in Deming, But and this is one that Peter was very strong with, is that respect for people. Right. There is, you know, I mean, that to me, if there's any core to Deming, yeah. it is the respect for people and the idea that why Deming is doing this. Deming isn't doing this in the sort of business school idea of how can we have GE make more money. Right. Deming was really doing this stuff about how to make people's lives better. One of the things, the very first blog post I wrote for the Deming Institute blog, I talked about his uh his sort of aim with his life and now. Uh, without looking it up, I can't uh, say it from memory. But it's something like uh, peace, prosperity, and something. The but people should remember Deming grew up during the Great Depression right. and World War II, and he went to Japan after World War II when it was decimated. Deming understood the vital importance of economic well-being to people. And in the United States, it's really easy for most of us who are listening to podcasts about management to completely forget that concept. The idea, I mean, we might have trouble, you know, keeping our 3,000 square foot house or whatever, but we do not have trouble getting, uh, you know, food to put on the table, Um, And Deming went through a whole long time of the Great Depression and World War II and after World War II in Japan of just seeing how much economic uh, prosperity made a difference. And that is a huge part of what he was doing and what he was doing in Japan. And over time, by the time we are talking about the 1980s or 1990s, that had sort of evolved i guess in maslow's hierarchy of needs to okay look we got enough prosperity to get food on people's plates but how about giving them some purpose for their life right and right. that sort of string was always there for deming how to make people's lives better and peter of all the deming accolades i would say peter was the most sort of focused on those kind of things
0: yeah, no, I, you know, like I have a whole nother thread about like how he, you know, clearly he was humanist, right? Like he cared about the human condition. There's no question about it. Uh, I think you can almost watch an evolution of, you know, starting with Hawthorne and seeing the sort of the best and the worst of Hawthorne, right? You know, in some ways Hawthorne was this beautiful sort of immigrant dream. And then, some way, and but in the factory, it was, you know, it was, you know, as sweatshop as you can get, you know. And I, you know, I've read, um, what's his face, Habelstam's, uh, The Reckoning, yeah. And like, my goodness, like, you want to get a real understanding of what he was witnessing then, um, you know, that, that, you know, the sort of post World War II Japan, and you know, so I, you know, I think there's this beautiful. There's a, I guess the, you you must know, you probably know everybody. So Ron Moen. Oh like yeah, he,
1: definitely.
0: Yeah, 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 he great. has a whole nice sort of thread of like, you know, people sort of look at Deming and say, well, he was different at this point. than and, and, and Moen says, you know, I think he even makes the joke where somebody asked Deming, Hey, you know, last time I was at your seminar, you know, you said this and now you're saying this. And he said, I, I could picture him in his deep voice saying, you know, I will never apologize for uh, learning, you know?
1: Right. Mm-hmm. Totally. Yeah. And that's the one of the things. The other thing I mentioned in that first Deming Institute blog post was that, look, this stuff keeps evolving. Yeah. Deming himself would have evolved it. That's right. But as I write this blog, I'm going to be quoting him and talking about stuff. But also my personal opinions will come through. And that is exactly as it should be. It's not that we're trying to lock this stuff down. As it was in the year 2000, we're trying to figure out how do we evolve these ideas to fit in the modern organization?
0: You, you know, I just wrote um, I wrote something. Other day. So, I mean, again, I, I agree. I think that's the whole point. Right. Like, I mean, there's it's this evolution of the aggregate of all these things. So when there's these debates, did Deming do that? Did Akhoff do this? Did Duran do that? It's sort of non Nonsense, right? Because all this is a winding road. And and, and just, um, I noticed, you know, I guess it is a twofold question here. But I noticed that um, a lot of people sort of purposely don't give Deming attribution. Now, I love Deming. I like fell in love with him when I first learned about him. It's been a journey of learning more and more about him. But I don't sit here and say, well, you know, without Deming, you wouldn't have had Japan success. Without, you know, you know, um, because it's it's, it, you know, it takes a lot of people. But there seems to be sometimes this backlash against Deming, and like one, for example, is, um, well, there's parts of the lean community that literally just act like he never existed. And then there's parts of um, like that, even the just in time. You know, and, and you know, I I mean, clearly, let's give attribution to Toyota Ono on and just in time, unquestionably. But by the way, he got that from uh, Charles Saunders from Piggly Wiggly, right? Um, you know, in some ways, you could say for even Adam Smith and Ford created these things that that flew. But you you very rarely hear an attribution of Deming. And, I you know, I went back for the podcast and I, I you know, I, I, I reread the Hawkeye transcripts that's on your blog, right? Um, Because I hadn't read it in a while. And in there, like, there's a whole set of paragraphs where, like, if that's not just in time in 1950, right, about inventory and if it's 10%. And and from what I understand, those courses that he taught, I think even Duran said this, those courses that he taught in Japan were the same courses. Duran made a comment that he just dusted them off from the courses he taught at Stanford. So that means he must have been talking in the late 40s or early 40s about these concepts.
1: But anyway. Yeah, I think I mean, one of the things I can't keep it all straight in my head the way that Deming could. But Deming would give attribution for almost every one of his ideas to other people. Right, Um, And his the only thing I don't remember him ever attributing is the collection of the whole thing into a system. Um, but the, yeah, I mean, he would be able to constantly rattle off who had this idea and who built up this little idea. I've talked about this again in a blog post or two. The idea, the reason why I think it's important for people to understand where these things come from is so they can do a better job Mm -hmm. of managing. It doesn't matter to give, in my opinion, to give Deming his due just because he deserves to get his due. But right. if you don't understand yeah. that many of these ideas came from Deming, you don't learn to look at Deming and see what else is there. It is one of the things I loved about working with uh, software developers more than any other group by far. They went and found Deming on their own they heard about these things like agile and they would dig into it in the same way that they dig into code to find, you know, what's really going on. And they, the ones who I think uh, have the best understanding and say the most interesting things all talk about Deming and all sorts of other people too. Um, and they have different levels of how much they uh Care about deming the person compared to you know several of the ideas that right. come up, but um, they had that interest to go learn from uh, sort of a deeper source, and then by doing that, they deepened their understanding of however they're trying to implement agile. One of the things that I get disappointed in all those software developers though is. Um, Almost, If they uh, complain about something, it's that, oh, well, Deming is for the manufacturing floor, and you can't put what I do uh, in line with what those unthinking robots in the factory do. And it's like, look, buddy, the same way that you're mad at your management for treating you like a cog in a machine is exactly what Deming told the managers in the factory. Yeah, I know. Oh,
0: this is so good, yeah but you you you've you probably haven't heard my rants because i I live this all the all the time, right? Because from my worldview of software development, most have been um, born in the open source community, you know, building web scale infrastructure, uh, working with companies that are building those type of infrastructure. Um, you know, Demi is more used for quotes and like, oh, yeah, Demi. Right. Like, we, we say in DevOps, like almost every DevOps presentation has a Demi quote in it. But like, do you really listen to them? And I see very little use of like the statistical cross control or. And, and the thing I, I get that same thing always. And I from really prominent people in, in like to sort of my world where they'll say, um, you know, Demi is great. But it only to a point because you can't really map on uh, a manufacturing economy ideas to knowledge economy ideas. I'm like that's ridiculous, um, you know. Uh, because yes, you can. In in the you know the principles. Right. and because
1: be- that wasn't what he he wasn't trying to come up with something that would make a manufacturing plant.
0: That's work. right. That's right. Yeah, he yeah. was
1: trying to manage people. <laughs> so it's like the yeah, it's yeah. one of the things. Another a complaint against Deming that I think is somewhat accurate, is he didn't give you a prescription. That's right. Well, the reason, the fact that he didn't give you a prescription is why it can work so well in software development, just like it worked in the factory floor, because it isn't, well, you should stand eight feet away from the nearest person or anything. It's concepts about looking at the system, finding how to improve the system, doing plan, do, study, act, experiment, pay attention to the people doing the work. It is funny because, I mean, the people that will complain about Deming being manufacturing and not for us are exactly the same people that are complaining. Their complaints are exactly what Deming would say. You know, they're not listening <laughs> yeah. to the people that do the work. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, that's what Deming would say.
0: Well, the other thing I, I sort of, you know, I, I um, years ago I read uh, Toyota Supply Chain, right? And then, you know, if you're familiar with the four VLs of learning, right? And I think one of the places where a lot of these people talk about you know, like to your point, I think you made this earlier, which is a lot of people say, well, you can't. Well, first off, the thing that annoys me probably more than anything is people just say Deming just focused on statistics, you know, and, you know, they're like and other people focused on management. Like there's actually a bunch of stuff out there where they talk about Duran focused on management and Deming only focused on statistics. I'm so like, OK, what part of Deming did you not read? But. But the thing that, like the, the people in, you know, sort of the DevOps or agile or even sort of lean software development communities will say things like, the problem you have with variation is you can't control variation in sort of ideation. And I say, well, uh, you know, and there's a longer discussion. I just had this thing with Gene Kim in podcast where I tried to explain if you listen to or you read Supply Chain, they talk about the four VLs, like right? there's velocity, there's visibility, but then there's variety. Is variability, and I think what most people, I think they conflate the difference between variety and and, and variation, right? You know, because variety, like so, like in those ideas, like variety is about yes, expand. I think it's more like the design of experiments. You know, it's Taguchi, If you know, I'm sure you're familiar with him as well, right? Uh, whereas. Was variation, and and this is another question I wanted to ask you too. Where variation is, people are really smart people, completely just blow it when they try to explain statistical process control. I've heard some of the most brilliant people I know say things like, "Oh yeah, statistical process control. You know, it's not that useful because it's uh, it's either an anomaly or it's not." I'm like yeah, that's not the way I interpret it. You know, common cause or, or special cause is just you know sort of a a signal, and special cause is—I mean, common cause is noise. I'm like yeah, that's not exact. I mean, there's a whole body of like, uh, um, you know, nuclear power plants that are running, <laughs> not that way. I mean, I don't know. I just ranted for a while, but what are your thoughts? Yeah, no,
1: the the there is a huge problem with people like to just take anything and stick it in a little cubbyhole hole so they don't have to uh, think about it very much. But it's like Deming did talk about using data sensibly, but it really is not a big part of what he talked about. It was a big part of what he focused on in the 1980s because companies were doing such a poor job of using right. data. That it was a really easy way to get wins was just pay attention to data. You yeah. bozos. Yeah. Um, but Yeah, I mean, it is not the sort of core of what he's talking about. It's much more respect for people and pay attention to those people. And the way that you can be much more effective in paying attention to uh, those people and the systems is by using sensible data to understand. It's like you say, it, it is more difficult to come up with the easy examples in something like software development than a factory floor. But there are plenty of places where getting an understanding of the system and putting some processes into place. So software uh, coders will get mad when people talk about processes because they're used to all sorts of asinine processes that the organization put in place that make their job very difficult. But when what process standardization is supposed to do is to make it easier to do work. So something like uh, using, a testing system in your software development, so that when you make updates to the code, it's tested to see if there's some problem before you deploy it to the uh, to deploy it to production. That is a process improvement that makes the process more stable. It doesn't make you any less able to be creative or anything else. In fact, it makes it way easier to be creative because you have confidence that your change isn't going to affect weird things in ways that you don't understand.